Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. It is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. My name is Matt Pollard, and I am in physical discomfort after summiting La Plata Peak, the fifth highest 14er in Colorado this past Sunday. Somehow, I have not been removed from podcasting activities as a result. League's Cup and the Women's World Cup both start this weekend. Messi's circus has come to Miami, but we still don't know what his pub sub order is. Ronaldo's got hot takes, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with Messi starting in MLS. And the Rapids played three halves of soccer at home last week, and no goals were scored. I am joined now by a man who knows this podcast is going to be a total waste of time, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Hey, man, how's it going? I am in week three of... Um uh boiler uh hot water heater repeat it repair hell um other than that uh i did something uh you know quite uh relaxing just now that i was just going to ask you and our listeners about which is i had to iron some shirts matt do you iron your shirts do people iron their shirts and i think one of the things that i was really want to know about ironing is ironing is one of those life skills that like i was never taught I picked it up on my own, and I don't feel particularly any better at it now than I was when I started doing it. It's like unlike cooking and other things where like you get better at it through time. Like I never feel like I'm that great at ironing. Like everything's fine, but it's not like I never feel like I'm either doing it efficiently or perfectly. Matt, what's your take on ironing shirts? Uh, not something I do a whole lot. I'd say I do it for collared shirts that have to look nice. I, I don't iron any of my soccer kits. I don't iron any of my t-shirts, obviously. You know, you fold them up flat yeah. reasonably after they've been no, dried. No, no, I'm talking collared shirts. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do it when I have to wear one. That is obviously few and far between. I'll be honest, Mark, I, I get more dressed up for being in the press box at DSGP these days than I do for going into the office with it being fieldwork season. But yeah, it's the, the, the ironing board and the iron come out when I have to iron something for a wedding or other fancy event that I'm going to, and that needs to look presentable. And that is once a quarter at this point. Well, all right. I guess that's how it is then. I'm, I'm glad we got your take. Listeners, if you have any takes on ironing that you'd like to share with us, uh, you can write to us at Holding the High Lines uh, uh, information, which you can get from Matt at the end of the game or the show. Uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter or as long as Twitter hasn't burned down um, and, we've, and we haven't moved over to threads. Matt, take it away. What are we going to talk about today, considering talking about the Rapids is, phys- is another version of physical discomfort, uh, which is possibly different but not better than climbing a 14er well first of all rabbi i i think we have to go against one of our policies here at holding the high line we are not going to be completely mls all-star game or mls all-star week 
agnostic in this because while there is no current Colorado Rapid who is representing the MLS All-Stars, Mark, I'm looking here. I think Austin Trusty won the crossbar challenge. So uh, there's that. And I guess semi-adjacent for you, Mr. Arsenal man here looking at Austin Trusty for that. But other than that, Mark, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I might have the game on in the background tomorrow, but I'm going away this weekend. I'm going to Philly to watch Fulham play Brentford at the link and then hook up with a few friends. I'll be meeting Rachel Rachel Krigger for the first time in person, Rabbi. Very excited about that. Very disappointed as we talked before hitting the record button that I won't be able to see you, even though I will be within the state of Pennsylvania. So, Mark, we're still MLS All-Star Game agnostic, but I think we have to acknowledge a former Rapids player did something in the All-Star Game. I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, no, I mean, just Drew Miller making the All-Star Game in 2015 was huge news for Rapids fans, but it's not like we uh, we are particularly... The All-Star break is a break for, for Rapids fans and for Rapids players, and that's not great, not ideal, but but it should be... I think you're right. Uh, I, I think uh, maybe I should have flipped it onto the background, but I think after watching... And we'll get to it when we get to it. You don't have to jump to it now, but when, when I watched the Messi reveal on Monday... I, I turned it off at the end and said, I think mentally, that's all the MLS I need for the week. That was that was extremely disappointing and I don't need it. So um, and I also think it's it's quite fun to be in kind of like uh, preseason mode for European soccer again, although, you know, it is a vast wasteland of nothing to wake up on Saturday morning and be like, what? What am I going to do before synagogue? Now, thankfully, I've been solo rabbiing here in Pittsburgh for the last five weeks in a row and running the entire synagogue by myself. So my Saturday mornings are pretty much wake up, do a few little last bits of prep for what I'm doing at work and then uh, get dressed in the fancy in the fancy coat and uh, and go into work. So I don't have a lot of mental space for soccer now anyways, but. Thankfully, this weekend I get to go away. I got a final week away, and so I will catch up on all the soccer and hopefully catch uh, some uh, women's uh, women's World Cup games. Although the timing is always an issue, right, Matt? I mean, it's like the games are on at like 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. and 3 a.m. Those are your options. So maybe I'll have insomnia. Like, I, fingers crossed, right? Uh, we've got, well, the group stage is actually decent, Mark. It'll be two 9 p.m. kickoffs for you on the Eastern Time, two 7 p.m. kickoffs here in Colorado. For you. <clears throat> yeah, for the group stage games. But yeah, it's it's going to get difficult with some of those knockout stage games in which you look at it. And I, I, I don't have this off the top of my head, Mark. I'm, the final's in the middle of the night, like Saturday going into Sunday as well. Like it's the, it, it's going to be an insomnia final if the, if the U.S. women make the final there. But, you know, Good on Austin Trustee for winning the crossbar challenge, Mark. Uh, I saw apparently in MLS Next Pro the stuff that they had going on that Goalie Wars was absolutely lit, uh, which I'm absolutely not surprised by. That might be the only thing from All-Star Week that I go back and rewatch given I am a Goalie Wars truther. But uh, Mark, what can you... Can you say anything about what you've seen from preseason or what the scuttlebutt is about whether or not Trusty will be a contributor to the first team for Arsenal back in European competition this season, or could we see him go out on loan somewhere else? I yeah, I would totally expect him to go out on loan. I just don't. I don't. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I mean, it's just basically the the difference of are the articles I'm reading saying much. I mean, people are really excited about the Declan Rice signing. 
over at Arsenal. I think people are wondering whether that's um, going to be kind of like a game changer for them, uh, which I feel like is getting their hopes a little bit up. Um, you know, Saliba being back and healthy is a big deal for them. Um, but the back line hasn't really been, and then trying to figure out the Thomas Partey situation because he had some uh, legal troubles last year. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I think the only question that I have, they also got Kai Havertz in the, in the off season, who's a, a forward, um, and Belogan, the U S player, um, slipped in there too. So I think with, um, Arsenal, the questions are, you know, too much good stuff. Who's going to shake out? Um, but mostly like, did they add, they added a couple pieces, but are, is everyone going to come good at the right time? Um, honestly, Austin trustee hasn't been a major focus of the conversation and he'd have to really, you know, you know, kind of light the world on fire in the preseason to displace some of the other guys at center back, um, like um, Nuno Tavares, Rob Holding, and Zinchenko, in order to kind of get in there. So that's that's where I'm at. I just don't. I I think um, they probably will keep him, uh, and maybe uh, because there's not a ton of depth at center back. Um, but whether he gets more time than you know some of the cup matches and uh, spot starts here and there uh, doesn't look great to me. But you know what? Like everybody contributes on a on a big premiership team um, to, to winning trophies and rings. So um, if he got some time, if he got 500 minutes this year for a great team, I mean, it would be, it would be good for Arsenal. Um, I don't know if it'd be good for Austin trustee, but I'm not, um, I have a different rooting interest. I think a lot of Americans, when they see an American go abroad, they want that kid to develop. They want him to play high level so that he can make it onto the U S men's national team. I strangely don't really have that. I don't really, when I see Americans abroad, I don't think like, will this be good for their career? Will this help develop them for the national team? I kind of assume that like the best players will end up on the national team. And that that just that doesn't have to do with whether the guy gets a chance or not. Like, I don't worry about whether Matt Miazga is getting the right opportunities or or, um, um, you know, Weston McKinney is getting enough starting time. Like it doesn't keep me up at night if they're the best player in the world. And the best player at the time, they'll play for their team and then they'll get the call up for the national team. I will say the only exception to that, of course, is uh, is with uh, um, Pulisic. So making sure that Christian Pulisic gets time next year for AC Milan, that would be really good. Um, I do think that, that would matter for the men's national team. And I do care whether that happens. What about you, Matt? What's your feeling about all of our American players abroad and where they've ended up in the offseason and what moves have you seen that have kind of been interesting to you? I think it's been a critical summer for a lot of players, even those who've chosen to stay or those who've chosen to go somewhere else. I, I love that um, AC Milan is becoming USAC Milan. I oh, think nice. that's going to be a fun one. Did you Just make like, that up? No, a, a friend texted me that <laughs> uh, earlier today. Whether or not they made it up themselves, I think is a valid question as well. But really curious to see what happens with that. I'm maybe a little bit worried based on what's going on with Juventus and Tim Weah going there. 
whether or not he'll continue to be played at a wingback when I still think it is best for our top talent at the U.S. to be playing in their natural best position and then the position that ultimately they'll be playing when they go up to the national team. So that's a little bit of a concern there. I, and even before you get to a U.S. standpoint with Austin Trusty Mark, which, you know, if, if Tim Ream remains ageless, I think he's on the outside looking in there. And even if he is on the inside, I look at <clears throat> a Miles Robinson, regardless of his Gold Cup performance, certainly in those last two games, I think is certainly up there. Obviously, Cameron Carter Vickers. Uh, you've got the who's the guy at Gank who unseated Trusty as a starter at. Um, at Philadelphia Union, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And then, of course, you've got Walker Zimmerman, who, regardless of what he's doing in MLS, we know that his skill set and what he's capable of doing for Nashville transitions translates very well to him being a good player at the back for the U.S. men's national team. So uh, those are kind of what I'm thinking about. But before we even get to the national team with Austin Trusty, Mark, like this is still Trusty is seen as a Rapids player and his success or failures will be something that is measured when it comes to the view on the Rapids' ability to develop players. And right now we've got one decent success in Sam Vines, who's back in playing with Antwerp in preseason, Mark. We have one mixed bag, don't know the full story, but overall not success in the two clubs and the year spent in the Netherlands that was Cole Bastin and Austin Trusty decent. I, I think if, if Austin Trusty turns into like the... Arsenal lone brigade guy like a Matt Miazga was in the past for Chelsea um, or other players have in the past where he's just jumping from championship to middle tier French team to good team in Belgium to good team but not Ajax in the Netherlands. I don't think that's bad in terms of proving that he can do it in Europe. Obviously, if he were to even be just a guy who's the regular center back off the bench <clears throat> in the 18 or in the 20 for Mikel Arteta for a team that's looking to again maybe challenge for a title do something in Europe, certainly do something in a cup competition. That would absolutely be, all of these things are a success. And even if Austin Trusty ends up being washed out in just a starter for an upper third championship team that maybe is in the conversation for the playoff as well, I think that is a success in terms of his career, in terms of finding his level and proving that he can do it in Europe. And I think that is a success in the Rapids being able to say we took a player and moved him a rung up that then allowed him to do what he's doing now. Um, one player who we know what he's doing, Mark, and there's no question about his level as the one true GOAT or the true modern living playing GOAT is Lionel Messi, who's officially signed and been unveiled for Inter-Miami. He's had his first training sessions, Mark. Uh, Rabbi, you and I had some fun on Twitter today when a writer for the, I want to get this girl's name right mark because i want to give her a shout out i want to shout out the one person who's been going to inner miami training on the reg and now is being inundated with a bunch of other people that are stealing quotes or stealing other stuff because of the way that media works so michelle kaufman at cough sports k-a-u-f sports k-a-u-f-m-a-n on the last name was at Inter-Miami training mark, and you can see just like down the line on the long side of the pitch, just rows of people, rows of cameras and everything, just effectively filming B-roll footage of Messi, you know, jogging around with his teammates and everything, and her pointing out that in regularly in open media sessions, she was often the only reporter that was at practice, um, or she was one of only a handful, one of the only people who was regularly there on the beat, and mark this just, this continues to speak to the dichotomy we are seeing between 
between the national interest, the episodic interest from both local media and then national media in terms of looking at stuff and then juxtaposing that with what I've dealt with at Burgundy Wave and how important the grassroots, somebody who's every there every single day, documenting all the things to be the, the foundation, the base of the pyramid of coverage of soccer in this country when it comes to the club game that does not get the credit it deserves. Obviously, we've talked about isn't monetized at the same level, but when there's an easy way for a major outlet that has somebody locally or a TV station or somebody else to piggyback off of something and then get all of the access and everything, and it sometimes even be prioritized over that local coverage, I would not say that's how I'm treated officially for um, covering the Colorado Rapids, by the way. That is something that we still see. And the messy circus has come to town, Mark. The reveal for as much as you said about the production of it being a little bit hokey, people being there. I do not think that many MLS stadiums and their crews and everything are ready for the circus that is going to be had here, Mark. You look at the ticket prices and everything. Uh, Mark, I think you could, Messi could literally come out and just stand outside and, and could just stand at the pitch at Dick's Sporting It's Park on the center circle and clap and DSG would be sold out and those tickets would be more expensive than that Rapids home game that's going to be September 16th when the PIDs return as well. And it speaks to the celebrity status that we still have and that being the, the game of soccer still when it comes to the casual sports fan or the casual fan in America is much more of the NBA or the NFL fan in that they are focused on players more so than they are focused on teams, and they're focused on it from a national or an international perspective rather than what's happening locally for their team day-to-day, and it's Johnny come lately, and yes, Mark, it's going to get a whole bunch of clicks and a bunch of other stuff and everything, and you know, Miami is going to put out stuff on social media that's going to get millions of engagements and everything, but... Also, I'm al- he hasn't even played the first game, and I'm already over the hoopla that comes with him to say nothing of the fact that I will watch every single minute that Messi plays that is not overlapping with the Rapids this season. I, 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 w- I wouldn't say I'm disagreeing strongly here, but I'm still I'm excited. I like the rollout. I think it's going well. I thought the Monday rollout was catastrophic. There were audio problems. Um, it was raining. There was a walkway that they very clearly didn't decide to walk all the way down on because it was so slippery. Nobody could walk down it. So it was really uh, it was really bad. It, it really went really poorly. And there wasn't anything to it. I mean, like, all I wanted was Pitbull to come out and say, you know, dale, dale, culo, culo, you know, like do his thing. But like, that's that didn't happen, which is a bummer. I feel like Miami needed to go a little bit bigger with that, but it felt like the 30-minute broadcast was basically just an opportunity to get a few um, short video clips that they could throw up on um, Instagram and and so on, and and that it was it was made for short clips. It wasn't made for actual watching. But um, I didn't watch the first training because why? Um, you know, I, it, Matt and I have seen enough. Soccer players in 7v7 drills and, you know, Rondo, uh, a.k.a. uh, 5v2, that we don't need to see the greatest of all time play Rondo. Like, there's nothing nothing exciting to it. Like, when you've seen the Riverhounds do it, you've seen Messi do it. It's the same thing. There's nothing exciting about it. I mean, it would be cool to be there in person. um, But, you know, maybe me, Matt and I get a shot at it next year. Um, Unlikely. Uh, I wrote all about it in a back pass I did on Messi a couple weeks ago. Um, hopefully I'll have a back pass up soon. Um, either I'll have a short article about, you know, where we're at, or I have a long form piece coming about all of 
the Colorado Rapids players I interviewed about what it's like to go on the road in Major League Soccer this season, um, which, you know, hopefully that should be a fun piece and, and I'll get around to it. I have a couple of days of vacation uh, in Delaware um, to do that. So, um, but unfortunately tomorrow I'm just driving across the country. But anyways, point, uh, and by country, I mean the state of Pennsylvania on the turnpike mostly. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm still excited about Messi. I'm excited about what, what Messi's going to do. I definitely think that um, he probably won't, you know, light the world on fire in his first game. But if he just has a little bit of fantastic dribbling, you know, a moment of brilliance, a, a nutmeg, you know, a, a, a little roulette spin move, um, that that's worth the price of admission. And I think, you know, I, I, I took Iggy to the barber today to get a haircut and our barber's a Moroccan guy who we just talk soccer for half an hour. Um, which is absolutely worth the price of admission in addition to the haircut. Um, and we just talked messy for like 10 minutes and he is exactly, you know, it's really important, Matt, for you and I to have those conversations with those kinds of people, the folks who would otherwise be what we would sometimes term not affectionately as Euro snobs, you know, folks who just, they're really interested in the Premier League or they're really interested in the Bundesliga or they're really interested in their national team of the home of the country of their origin but they don't really pay attention to major league soccer. And then when I, you know, when it, when he brought up Messi and Inter Miami, he just wanted to talk my ear off about it. He wanted to, you know, know some things about MLS and all this stuff and I I said, you know, what do you think about them signing Busquets? And he's like, they signed Busquets too? You know, and like that's the level of excitement. And then I had to remind him like, you know, this is not major league soccer's first time around with players of this caliber. They had Chicharito, Thierry Henry, David Beckham and and I think, you know, that's I'm, I'm not saying you and I matter a part of the process of educating, but like this is opening major league soccer up to a new audience that can get excited about it. Can, can, can watch what we watch and like what we like, and hopefully it will work. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, we're it's, it's, um, it's an interesting episode that you and I are doing right now because, and I, I came into this feeling like I'm not really excited to record tonight because the Rapids are, you know, played three halves of football in which they didn't do anything. You know, nothing happened in the uh, hundred and what is it, thirty-five minutes of play that they had. And so, you know, like on the one point, we're we're the highest of highs because we have the greatest player of all time playing for Major League Soccer and getting introduced in Miami this week, and the lowest of lows. Our local team that we love and support and have followed so much. Is in dead last. No, 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 no. Mark, and with off. that, with with the point that the Rapids have, they technically move above. It. Technically, Mark, right now, live standings in Major League Soccer, the Colorado Rapids are above Lionel Messi in the standings for the Wooden Spoon. Take that token, Inner Miami listener who is here to drink our tears. No, it's a it's a fair point. It's a great point, but um, yeah, I mean that was. If if that's what it's got to look like the rest of the season, I'd rather take losses two one and three one because I just and as and w- w- you'll mention when we get to it the Forbes article, but like the the fact that the Colorado Rapids have seven nil nil draws this season and are just I mean we're moving in the direction of you know it's interesting because the the quality of play and the style of play is not the worst I've ever seen. I remember in the Kevin Doyle days. I thought that the Rapids, that was like 2015, right? 2014 and 2015. 
um, I thought that the style of play the Raptors had was awful. You know, we had we had no creativity, and it was like, you know, we'll kind of creep up the sides, and then uh, and or and then we'll kick it back to the center back, and then he'll lump a long ball to Kevin Doyle, who will try to um, make something happen by himself with no support. I was like, this is the worst soccer I've ever seen. The Rapids are playing better soccer than that, but the results are worse. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, no, I am. I'm super excited for the circus mark, but I think there's there, there's some healthy skepticism about whether or not it's going to work. Messi's adjustment to MLS. We've talked about that in the past. I, I think there's a lot of valid questions at this point, Rabbi. How Inter Miami is affording this, or what rules that MLS is making up on the fly that they're going to announce after the fact, possibly after the window closes. And Busquets and Jordi Alba, and I, I don't know, is Gerard PK going to come out of retirement uh, to come play with? come play with Messi in Miami as well, how they're actually making all of this happen. And, you know, is Messi going to want to play at turf? Is he going to want to have to fly across the country for a flight and a travel distance that would be longer than he would have done for any Champions League group stage game and want to and, and deal with that and that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of other stuff that's going on, and there's going to be some maybe some pushback between MLS wanting Messi to do stuff that maybe he's like, yeah, that's beneath me, but also MLS wants to milk this for every single thing. And so, as we saw with the announcement, Mark, they're certainly going to do that, as we've seen with probably the jerseys that they're, you know, that all they're, that they're going to sell, and the ticket prices, whether you're looking for a game, you know, home for Inter-Miami or any of the road games where Messi's coming out. What's it going to be like when somebody pays, you know, five, six hundred dollars expecting to see Messi and having that whirlwind in the same way that maybe they had for Beckham or Zlatan or Thierry Henry. And then, you know, what if he gets injured because he's a 36, 37 year old and then fans getting upset like that? How's all of that going to work? And ultimately, the big question I have, Mark, is I think Beckham clearly raised the tide. I think he did it more so for the league internationally and in other markets than he did necessarily for the Galaxy. He was a part of that, but they, the Galaxy, I think, were already on that trajectory. Um, the Galaxy got to five MLS Cups, not in part, uh, with the help of David Beckham, but not because of David Beckham, if that makes sense. No, and yeah. so there's a bunch of Barcelona fans and Argentinians and just, uh, to your point, Mark, Euro snobs or people who are more interested in the individual stars than they are in commitment to a particular club or a particular league, you know, who are watching Kylian Mbappe and Erling Holland highlights, but haven't sat down to watch a 90-minute game live or, and in person this year. How does MLS then turn into those people buying MLS season pass, potentially going to see Messi in person? How do they turn them into someone who is consuming MLS content more, who is helping to grow the league monetarily in fan base, in cultural relevance after Messi, I think is the big question. And that's something that outside of Inter-Miami, I'm not sure that it's obvious to me. I, I don't know how... Again, Mark, we both said I don't think in Messi's two-and-a-half-year contract that we think he's coming to Commerce City, Colorado, but how would the Rapids then get a Barcelona fan who pays $300, $400 to go up to the first game they've ever been to at DSG to come back or even be remotely interested in the Rapids rather than being an Inter-Miami fan because Messi played for them or just moving on to whichever the big star is, whether it's... um. McAllister or Mbappe or Holling, whoever. That's still not 100% clear to me, but we'll see. Um, 
Uh, speaking of fans and arguments and stuff on Twitter, Mark, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, I guess, had an interview, and then Fabrizio Romano, um, you know, magnified that. And a few of the things that he said was he thought that Saudi Arabia's league, the the Saudi Arabian Pro League, Saudi Arabian Super League, I can't even remember what it is. That's how irrelevant this is to me. Saudi Pro League, thank you. Saudi Professional League uh, was bigger than MLS. And so I, I think there's a healthy argument to be have here, Mark. But I, I think we all know this was him trying to take a shot at Messi or trying to restart that feud as well. And Messi, in truth, probably doesn't have to pay for his fancy new living arrangements in Miami because he lives rent-free in Cristiano Ronaldo's head. Um, you know, I, Mark, I, I think... You look at the infrastructure, you look at the stadiums, and I think you look at the relevance of the club game in MLS, even in pockets. I think that's more obviously bigger to me than it is in Saudi Arabia. Obviously, if Saudi Arabia gets one of the next two or three World Cups, or one of the two of gets one of the next three World Cups, not 2026, but 2030 or 2034, which I think is very possible, then I think we could have a different conversation. But I think they're very much closer to the Chinese Super League in that they've got a bunch of money right now. They're manufacturing or buying their relevance rather than growing it elsewhere internationally. I don't know that scouts are going to watch players in the Saudi Pro League, whereas obviously if you put a player who played in MLS Best 11 of guys who are playing in top leagues in Europe or just a first division in Europe versus Saudi Arabian players, players who played in the Saudi Pro League who are playing in Europe, I'm not sure those two... The the, the 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 played in MLS league absolutely beats the uh, beats the crap out of the Saudi Pro League or even if you just did USMNT playing in Europe versus Saudi Arabian players playing in Europe as well so there's there's a manufactured parity to this I think they have a chance to have a little bit more staying power than the Chinese Super League because the Chinese Super League was looking to buy relevance from an international standpoint and the Chinese being the very um, tycoonish businessmen that they are realized that they were better and more covert ways of getting that than going through soccer, obviously. And Saudi Arabia obviously is has way more money to burn on this and wants to burn on this as well. Um, Mark, as someone who used to work in oil and gas, there was a point where I read this study and I don't remember the validity of it as well. But given the lack of transparency you have from a lot of those entities, a lot of economists have speculated that if there is a if a living trillionaire has ever existed outside of like British monarchy under like slave labor and everything, I guess the equivalent of modern day US dollars or modern day euros or British pounds, if a trillionaire has existed, it's probably one of these Piff, Qatari, Sheikh Mansour kind of personalities in the Middle East. And so if they want to spend all of their money on all their toys, which is, um, you know, creating their own super league or basically, you know, um, uh, FIFA ultimate team. They have a lot more leeway on this than China did necessarily, but the infrastructure has to be there. The grassroots have to be there. You have to have young Saudi Arabian men playing that game and then progressing both within the league and then elsewhere rather than just buying a bunch of talent. It's a, it's a very, it's an MLS 2.0 approach, but basically with infinite money. And so in that, I don't know that it's even fair to compare them. They're obviously not competing with each other on the field. They're obviously not competing with each other in terms of what they are trying to be as well. The one thing that I think is increasingly going to make the Saudi Pro League relevant, Mark, or where it's going to have some staying power other than the amount of money it has, is that it is the financial outlet for 
major European teams, mainly the Premier League, to keep this bubble from bursting that is just the overhyped prices that they're spending on players to where they kind of box themselves in. I think the Premier League was potentially a few years away of potentially being where Barcelona is and has been for the last couple of years in terms of them spending exorbitantly because they have that money pit, them propping up the lower parts of the pyramid because those other teams are dependent on the inflated valuations of players, those players being on bloated contracts, but then being not movable. Now you have a way to move those players off your books as well that is keeping Chelsea or Liverpool afloat as well. Man City and Newcastle obviously don't need the money as well, but Mark, now we're now, you know, Fulham's now legitimately having the conversation of the amount of money that they think Alexander Mitrovic is worth is an amount of money that no other team would be willing to spend because Man City's not paying 60 million pounds to buy Mitro, given that they have Erling Holland, and Mitro's not going to one of those clubs that he could go to if there's not a realistic possibility that he could start. But you give a Serbian guy who wants money basically offering to quadruple his salary and pay him 100 million euros in a calendar year and everything, and you now have a cl- you now have a league with four clubs that are willing to spend market value for what those Premier League teams would think that their players are worth for, now you have a really interesting economic market dynamic as well that I think is a far more interesting conversation than Ronaldo trying to stir up some stuff with his simps on Twitter, his stands, his fans <laughs> on Twitter, and doing that really just to try and say, oh, I'm playing in a league that's better than Messi's league, therefore I'm better than Messi. Like, Ronaldo, you lost. You've been losing. You, like, 1-0 World Cup and everything. Like, I, 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 I pity him. To say nothing of the yeah. fact, Mark, that he showed up and Al Nassar was in first place in the Saudi Pro League. And, Mark, where did they finish in the table? Uh, no idea. Second. So they literally showed up and, and fumbled the bag. Wow. They arsenaled it by getting Cristiano Ronaldo. All right, Mark, I'm I'm done. You say what you want about Saudi Arabia, and then we can move on. Yeah, uh, two really quick points. Um, point one, which a number of people brought up with me, which I thought was a really good one, uh, and I wasn't aware of this, so um, is basically that the top teams in the Saudi league are miles above the bottom teams, and the um, the teams that were able to buy big players are are those teams. It's uh, I'm looking at their table now. I can only remember off the top of my head Al Hilal and Al Shabab, um, but Al Itihad, Al Itihad and Al Nassar. Uh, so those four teams are, are are it. And then someone else was pointing out that the teams at the bottom of the table are so bad that I think someone tweeted today that they're. Um, that was Kevin Kincaid from the Philadelphia was saying that um, you know they would be no match for the Colorado Rapids, and I said. Don't overestimate the Colorado Rapids. They're not that good a soccer team. Um, I'm not sure they could beat um, your average uh, U13 team these days. But anyways, well, they could tie them, but they couldn't beat them. Um, so anyways, that's, I think, the, the issue that I have with Ronaldo. Yes, the top four teams in the league are probably better than a lot of the teams in Major League Soccer. But the other four, uh, uh, 12 teams are terrible. So, um, And then the, the the other thing that you kind of brought up is... Um, about how how this screws up um, player valuations because if you have a, a player who was expensive and is becoming over the hill, plays in the Premier League and had a pretty good career but is on the decline, you can now sell them to Saudi Arabia for a huge amount of money um, and that's not really a realistic valuation of what they're really worth because the Saudi League has screwed up and warped the market 
I'll just say pump the brakes on that idea a little bit. Yes, the Saudi league has bought, you know, four, six, eight really big players just this year. But, you know, China did this three or four years ago. If you're a new fan to um, holding the high line, you may not have remembered this a couple of years ago. Um, and then the Chinese league, um, after two years with, you know, allowing uh, the buying of big time foreigners, um, put the brakes on it. They reduced their overall number of foreigners on teams, I think, from like six to two. And a number of the teams and the owners who had bought um, big, expensive, fancy players, um, financially, it, it was a disaster for them. Uh, the teams really struggled. And now there are basically no big time players going to the Chinese league. So I, I'm not saying th that that's definitely going to happen. I'm saying um, a league nobody's really ever thought about before suddenly spending oodles and oodles of cash on players who are over the hill um, in pursuit of something that nobody really knows, maybe, you know, world renown or, um, you know, more, more fans or a, a FIFA um, club world cup uh, invitation. It, it's, it, it's been tried before and it didn't work. And so um, I'm definitely taking a wait and see attitude with the Saudi pro league. Um, and if I were, if I were um, Cristiano Ronaldo, I would not speak out of turn um, when I don't really know what I'm talking about, especially about, you know, which leagues are better than others. There's literally something called an ELO rating. You can go on uh, 527.com and look at which leagues are rated above others. Um, and I mean, you can, I, there's a bunch of websites that can do it. And um, I'm pretty sure the Major League Soccer league is better did i just say the major league soccer league what the hell's wrong with me matt mls is better than the saudi pro league even and and, and i i'm pretty sure i have the math to back it up what i say 527 i'm at 538 i'm sorry 538 uh the saudi pro league is top heavy as we mentioned folks so it's four teams that are effectively owned by piff so that is coincidentally the other kind of interesting and more I, and conspiracy theory, Mark, that I've seen that I think is more plausible than um, Piff being a effectively shadow owner through Todd Bowley's um, capital fund and everything. And that's why they're buying all the Chelsea players. I think the more interesting question is all of these players that are going to Saudi Arabia that are going to those four clubs that are owned and run by Piff. Is, is that now creating a football group with Newcastle? And are these players looking for an easy way backdoor into Newcastle? I think is the more interesting one. But the reason why I'm interested in League's Cup, Mark, is I think the true valuation of League is not necessarily your champion versus somebody else's champion, but how does your mid-table stack up against somebody else's mid-table? Would a team that fights relegation in one league go to another league and comfortably avoid relegation? I think that's the more interesting question. Why do I think the Premier League is the best league in the world right now? Because there are mid-table teams that are buying and spending more money than teams that are in and around Champions League qualification in other leagues. There are mid-table teams in the Premier League spending more money than the Milans, than German teams that are not... Bayern Munich, certainly then French teams that are not PSG, etc. And so if, if you want to compare that, Rabbi, you've got four super teams and effectively 14 poverty franchises. Let's be real, Mark. I can count the number of poverty franchises in MLS on one hand, and I think there's a real possibility, Mark, there's maybe only one poverty franchise in MLS. So, okay, do I think that the Rapids are necessarily... I, do, do I have any idea if the Rapids would beat Alwenda in 
a one-on-one situation, I'm not sure, but I feel pretty confident that a Philadelphia Union, a Minnesota United, a um a, a Charlotte FC or a Montreal would do pretty good against Demac. But in any case, um Mark, let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team. Listeners, there are other outlets that will better cover the U.S. Women's National Team, that will better cover the Women's World Cup. Obviously, uh, Mark, our our mutual friend John Babiak has landed in New Zealand, and so he'll be covering the Women's World Cup for Burgundy Wave with a Colorado focus, obviously, on Sophia Smith and co-captain Lindsay Horan as well. But the U.S. Women, Mark, uh, kick off this Saturday, this Friday, at 7 p.m. in their first group stage game against Vietnam that could very well turn into a 13-0 with Thailand. Mark, this is the most uh, competitive pool that you've had in the U.S. dominating era in terms of competition you have out there. Obviously, you've got England, Spain. I look at Germany as well. Sam Kerr with uh, Australia. There's a number of really interesting teams that have a generational player that this is a big deal for them. Barta, probably her last World Cup for Brazil. Ada Hegerberg returning with Norway. Just mark really quickly your thoughts on the Women's World Cup, what we see in the U.S. Women's national team and most importantly are we going to make it three in a row oh it's such a good question um i feel less knowledgeable about uh the women's game than ever before i just don't uh i don't feel like i've watched as many games as i used to i really like the england team um and you know i i am also a huge fan coming this year uh of the australia team there's a great video out um uh about them um, and Sam Kerr is always a really wonderful player um, to kind of follow and watch. And she's so much fun um, as a player. And then it's hard to not be excited about some of the other teams um, like Brazil, who always have a number of flashy stars who their women's team plays like their men's team. And they're they're always really um, exciting. Their coach is Pia Sundhaga, who was the bane of um, Jill Scott was our head coach. Jill Ellis. Jill Ellis was the bane of Jill Ellis's existence back in the day. Um, they have Dabinia, who uh, plays for Kansas City and is just absolutely pure filth. And then Marta, who plays for Orlando. Um, and that is, so that is always a team to kind of keep your eye on. Although the two players I mentioned are probably moving into their kind of like past their prime years. This is one of those tournaments where you get to see the next generation. Um, a team that I think has a lot of drama going on that we should pay attention to, but mostly because I have my eye on them, is the Nigerian national team. Um, Nigeria is in a group with Australia, Canada, and Ireland. Their head coach is Randy Waldrum, the head coach for the Pitt women's team, who I've interviewed multiple times, is an absolutely lovely player. He used to be um, Carly Lloyd's coach at Houston Dash. So he's really used to dealing with and coaching high-level players. Um, He had some really, for Pittsburgh soccer now, he had some really angry comments about the um, Nigerian Federation's lack of spending to prepare for this tournament. Um, Basically, they had one camp, I think, they had camp basically set up in New Zealand two weeks ahead of time. They were supposed to have camp, I think, four weeks ahead in um, Nigeria and the camp was canceled because it would just cost too much money to fly all these players. I mean, their players play in uh, France and Spain and England and the United States and Nigeria and 
to f- fly them all in um, just wasn't wasn't going to be uh, wasn't going to work for them. So financially, um, but they've got a lot of really fantastic players. Uchenna Kanu plays uh, at striker for Racing Louisville. Um, they've got Michelle Alozzi who plays for Houston Dash, who's really wonderful to watch. Um, and then I think um, one of those fun players, uh, just for a name uh, aspect, is Glory Ogbona. Um, glory, glory to Glory Ogbona. So the Nigerian team is another team that I have my eye on. Um, and and then of course the last thing to talk about is will the U.S. women repeat um, once again? You know, they are fantastic. There are a number of players on this team that I have watched in uh, NWSL this year and I feel like are just an absolute joy to watch. Um, uh, Alyssa Nair is always getting it done in, in goal and has been, you know, a backup to the other goalkeepers um, for the U.S. women's team for years. Um, Kelly O'Hara brings the experience, but I don't know whether she's actually going to start along the back line for the team Crystal Dunn is one of the best strikers, um, but she's been playing left back for the women's national team forever, and I don't think she's mad about it yet. You've got Rose Lavelle, who's just got tricks and, and flicks and all the, the good stuff. Um, you know, Lindsay Horan does everything you need a person to do in midfield in history. And then the last question for me is, of course, like, you know, there's so much goodness up at forward. I mean, personally, I'd like to see Trinity Rodman start in the middle um, with Lynn Williams kind of like coming off her side in something like a four four two, but they're good enough that they're probably going to play four three three. They're probably going to start Alex Morgan because of um, you know her experience. They will rotate a lot, um, you know. And I think one thing that soccer fans who are less aware of what the women's team is going to is going to do may not be aware that Megan Rapino is probably not going to start any of these games. She's probably going to be an 80th minute super sub uh, at best, and that's because. You know, she is past her prime, and even she has said that. I mean, she's basically said, I am really happy to come off the bench for this team. So there's a lot of good stuff for this team, but I do feel like maybe the cracks are are showing in the armor and that maybe it's somebody else's time. The three teams that everybody is talking about are kind of the three teams that everybody always talks about in Women's World Cup. When you're not talking about the U.S. team, that's England, that's Germany, and that's Spain. Spain getting a lot of love right now. Um, a lot of people have also been saying, I don't know why Spain is getting all this love. I'll be honest, I don't know these players. Most of them play in the, um, if they play for Real Madrid or Barcelona, um, and almost none of them, I think none of them play in the U.S. So I haven't seen any of them play, and so I can't I can't say um, whether they'd be good or bad. My assumption is that uh, that you know? There's also it's a lot harder to know who's good because the NWSL um, and the women's league in England, Spain, and France are all much better than they were four years ago. Four years ago, NWSL was really the only show in town. Now there's lots of good teams around the world, so it's harder to know who's going to be good. Mark, breaking news here. Arsenal FC narrowly defeat the MLS All-Stars in the MLS All-Star Skills Challenge. So, um, Big news. Maybe if they, yeah. So, um, Big if maybe true. If, maybe if they had Rapids leading scorer Andrew Gutman, they would have done better in that regard. But in any case, um, Mark, let's actually talk about the Colorado Rapids. We're Do like we 50 have to? Minutes. <clears throat> this is a Rapids podcast, so... Um, Listeners, uh, this past week, the Rapids played a combined three halves. Uh, they played the second half against 
Portland from the rescheduled or second half resumption uh, from the 4th of July game against the Portland Tibbers. And then they play the full 90 minutes against the Houston Dynamo. They were basically three of the exact same half. The Rapids huffed and puffed. They had decent energy. They got the ball into good areas. There was not a whole lot of finishing going on. Mark, obviously, no goal scored by either team in any of the three halves that were played. Uh, Andrew Gutman now has looked fantastic, Mark, playing, you know, in what, two weeks with the team. He's played 90 minutes twice at altitude for the Rapids, and him and Calvin Harris have been an absolute breath of fresh air. Um, but I, I don't know. But we're, we're lumping these together, listeners, and I'm not going through all the chances because you've literally seen this exact same game before six times. And Mark, six times, that is the number of nil-nil draws the Rapids have this season at home in 12 league games played. Mark, do you have any good things? I have Andrew Gutman. <laughs> what am I supposed to say here, Matt? <laughs> no, I don't have any good things. This team is crap. They can't score goals. I mean, you're right. Andrew Gutman looks looks fun. I I don't agree on Calvin Harris because he doesn't score any goals. Um, he does look like a breath. He looks different out there. I mean, but, you know, we could have Kevin Cabral dribble the ball straight forward, get into an exciting position, and then miss. I mean, like, there's a lot of guys who can do that. You know, like, there's... We have a we have a plethora of options of guys who dribble straight forward and I mean Jonathan Lewis is fantastic at getting to the end line with the ball and then producing absolutely nothing. So um, I'm sorry I burst your bubble with with uh, with good thing, but I saw very little good. I mean yes we worked three three quarters of three three halves of uh, of football with with no conceding no score and that means that the midfield is still holding it down. Connor Ronan is still roving, destroying very well. Um, uh, Acosta looked uh, quite good. Um, again, doing doing the job that he does. But uh, you know, I these are like these are not good thing. These are like mediocre thing that I'm underwhelmed by and not satisfied by. I suppose. Matt, Matt, you want to go to bad thing now? <laughs> um, I mean, just the, the, the two quotes that really stand out for me, Mark, was uh, Robin's opening statement from the after the Portland game, after the second half, saying that the result matched the oddity of the event and just that look looking weird. And Mark, I'm a little bit disappointed in you with my intro when I threw it to you saying it would be a total waste of time and you didn't respond with holy so well, I um, knew what we're a clean podcast, Matt. I can't do that. I, I can bleep it. I suppose. Drew Moore dropped an f bomb on the on the pod that I dropped on on Saturday. Nice, Sunday, Mark. So I think yeah, it was very it was very in it. For Drew it was a wonderful interview. If you haven't listened to that episode, um, go get go get your wholesome Drew Moore um for for forty five minutes of content. That will not be a total waste of time, Mark. I increasingly think that Drew Moore is just the Tom Hanks of the Colorado Rapids, and it's wonderful. But um, bad things. I mean. Yappy continues to get in good areas and not really create opportunities, Mark. Um, obviously, I've talked in the past about where I think Cole Bassett's kind of been trending as well, both uh, his re- both how he's playing on the ball, how he's playing off the ball, and then his reactions to how he expresses the frustration with what's going on there. I mean, it's, it's looked better defensively. Um, you know, we've seen Frazier go to more of a back four as well, and I think there's comfortability with that, with Keegan Rosenberry being the stay-at-home 
fullback that you have and Gutman being the more going forward one on the left side with Calvin Harris. And then Andrew Gutman, Mark, also got reunited in the latter minutes of the game against Houston with Jonathan Lewis, who he actually played with at the old Chicago Fire Academy. So, um, you know, if you think that he and Calvin Harris had some chemistry, he and Johnny have known each other for what, oh, maybe almost half their lives at this point. So that's something there. But you know, I mean, they've looked a little bit better defensively, obviously, but they've played now, if we're including the LA Galaxy game, the Dow- uh, I'll, I'll include the last four home games effectively, which is that they've played teams that have come in, not been in a good run of form, and have gone there playing for a draw. And so it's just, it's too easy, Mark, for whether it's Houston, whether it's been Portland, to absorb that first wave and then make some changes and adjust in the second half to really kind of deal with that as well. And so I, I don't know how you get better with that at this point. You know, I think we know now the, the you know, the, the news is out on Kevin Cabral. Nobody else has really been effective from an attacking standpoint. You know, Navajo better be, you know, the, the the second coming of Messi or the second coming of Neymar in order for this team to do something offensively. But it's just the, I, I'm running out of things to say, Mark, and I thought the Forbes article said it really well. So let's let's bring that up as well. So this was written by, let's, uh, we're giving people credit, Mark, so let's let's give guys, let's give guys credit here. This is written by Ian Nicholas Quillen, who's a contributor for, Forbes, Mark, and he wrote about how MLS uh, this season has already set a new record for scoreless draws, and we have more draws at this point in the season than we did all, more scoreless draws than we did all season of last year, and seven of those involve the Colorado Rapids, six of those have been played at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. You go to a home game right now for the Rapids, folks, there's a 50% chance that it is a scoreless draw, and the paragraph in particular, Mark, that I thought was him really taking a deserved swing at the situation of the club, quote, no fan base deserves a team that is not only so bad, but also so entirely uninteresting and with no real obvious evidence that the front office is trying to solve the problem. The Rapids might not set historic marks for futility in terms of points earned, but they will go down as one of the least enjoyable MLS sides to watch. So to your point, Mark, there's uh, earlier in the pod, there's kind of this dichotomy between we've seen Pablo Ball, we've seen Gary Smith Ball, we've seen the Rapids be less aesthetically pleasing we've seen them be less ambitious in their style of play but gotten better results and that speaks to where the club's at right now with the injuries with Ray Frazier's handling this and regardless of what you think's going on in the transfer window or where there I think are valid excuses or valid reasons that's no individual person's fault mark just this is where the club's at right now they're irrelevant they're uninteresting. You go to a game and you know they're not going to score and they're bad. And it's just a matter of can they do enough in some of those road games to where they're able to not win the wooden spoon. And if they do win the wooden spoon, there's a valid frustration from the fan base that nothing is going to change, that there's not going to be accountability coming in from ownership. I've seen a, a increased frustration with Robin Frazier where they think he has to go. But Mark, I think we'd agree he's not the main problem or not the biggest problem that the Rapids have right now. And so just it, it feels like they're in... You'd, you'd almost wish there's pro-rel, Mark, because then the Rapids would get relegated and then be forced to actually confront the realities of the situation that they've been in right now. And so I think this speaks to our, our next topic that we'll get into it. Rabbi, which is um, about the season ticket members and kind of the fan reaction to everything. But, you know, the the Rapids are getting dunked on right now. And I think they're capable of being better than they are. 
I do think they are improved with Navajo coming in and certainly with Andrew Gutman. I think they have a chance to be much better by season's end than they are right now or they have been for the last two months as well. But, you know, Mark, with League's Cup, you know, the Rapids are going to play that game against Toluca on the 31st. They're going to go more than two months between home games. You know, I've, I've been, I'm exhausted with the season, Rabbi. I'm already ready for it to be over. I think mentally there's a lot of Rapids fans that are checked out. I heard from a, a member of uh, C38 the other day saying every single game is just one game closer to 2024. Oy. I feel like for the last two months, I've been at Dick's Sporting Goods Park every single Wednesday and every single Saturday. You know, it's, you know, we've got, we're halfway through July and there's five league home games left in the season. And it's, um, it's wow. New England and Seattle in the same week. And then you've got the rescheduled Vancouver game, Austin, I think, and then RSL on decision day as well. There's, there's a, there's a mathematic way rabbi for the Rapids to be eliminated from playoff contention before they play their next home game. And I don't know that I see them beating New England or Seattle. I'm not sure I see them. Maybe if Navajo's in form as well, but you know, Mark, we're we're gonna go two months without a Rapids home game, and I think there's a lot of fans that are relieved. And I'm not convinced that fan that the fan base and the mood around the club is gonna be any different, better, or more relevant by the time we get to that home game against Bruce Arena's Revs. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the note about Max Alves on FootMob for the last couple of months has said instead of him being removed from team activities, as the team has said it, it says physical discomfort. And physical discomfort is what you and I experience when we watch this team, which is why it's a relief to not have to go to the stadium for you to probably to have to watch this team. Um, you know, for me, it's it's interesting to kind of mentally try and shift gears and focus on um, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, the other team that I cover, or to start thinking about the college season coming up. Um, but for you, who primarily covers Major League Soccer, it's a little bit trickier. So um, the other thing, uh, which we don't have a lot of time to talk about, what we'll just mention is um, for Denver FC jumping off uh, and making an announcement this past week about coming in and and uh, to making a bid for either um, USL Super League or NWSL, whichever one the ownership can probably afford. And I think that's really going to be interesting and complicated. The timing could not be worse for the Colorado Rapids in the sense that like any new team that comes into the Colorado market is going to be carry a lot of cachet and excitement and buzz, which the Colorado Rapids do not have because they've been around since 1996 um, in terms of physical changes to the team you know they built their stadium in 2007 there's nothing new under the sun in commerce city um you know the exciting thing is the signing of rafael navajo i'm i'm trying matt i I, i'm gonna give it a shot um and maybe that'll change things but i don't think anybody feels excitement around that right now um if he debuts during league's cup uh, that'd be great because it would give the Rapids a shot at winning a trophy this year. But I think you're right. Like there's, there's not a whole lot to get excited about when all you can really get excited for is, Hey, I hope we don't finish last. You know, that's not, it's not particularly motivating and it's really far off to say we're excited about 2024. My only excitement as a roster nerd is trying to figure out exactly who gets removed from the roster in order to make the space for the players coming in. Um, I'm currently befuddled because last week, like an idiot, I said, we've seen the last of Marco Illich. 
We're never going to see him play for the Colorado Rapids again. And lo and behold, the Rapids signed Marco Illich to contract this uh, last week and made it official that he's going to stick around for a few more years. I don't know how they did that. Uh, I'm not, I don't know why they did that personally. I haven't seen anything from him that made me excited, but um, you know, it's, that's where we're at right now. We're, we're, we're learning new things about the team and seeing how the pieces fit together for nine months from now. Yeah. It's, it's a weird debate, Mark, to, to your point earlier about the Rapids being the results being better, but the team playing less fun soccer of the Rapids fans having to deal with the, the difficult decision of the the Rapids are more uninteresting right now than they are bad. And in the past, they have been they've been more uninteresting than they are bad right now. The the Rapids are We didn't talk about either of the games, but I did I just wanted to say one thing, which was because I didn't really do bad thing, Matt. Um but the finishing is terrible. I mean the finishing yeah. is Terrible. There was a ball that was whipped in from Michael. This was all I needed to know from all three three halves. There was a ball that was whipped in from Michael Barrios. It was a low cross. Um, it was really, really spot on. And Kevin Cabral was squared up for it right in front of goal. And he just couldn't reach it. And all I could think of was, this is all you do. This is your job, right? And I've had this rant before. It's been probably a year since I went on this rant. Sometimes we, we want to be forgiving. I'm a rabbi. I'm all about compassion and understanding and so on. But like, I have a job to do. I show up at my synagogue at seven o'clock in the morning and I work there until five. I go home, I feed my kids and I come back at seven and I, I work again on Monday. I put in a long shift the other day at the office and I just did my mother effing job Matthew sorry banging probably doesn't make for good audio but I just do my job right and I know getting on the end of a difficult cross is different than leading services or comforting someone who's going through bereavement period or you know organizing meetings for the coming week but like just do your job if you're a finisher just finish finish the ball put it in the back of the net but nobody seems to do that and it drives me insane rant over yeah, so the um, it's just part of why we love sports, Mark, is because there's a sense of unpredictability or an unscriptedness that anything can happen. And I just feel like every single time I watch the Rapids, I know exactly what's going to happen. And regardless of the fact that they're trying to do something that's more interesting or more advanced than what they've done in the past, they're worse than they were in the past when they didn't have the same budget. They didn't sign the types of players that I think are influ influential, like a Max Shu or a Connor Ronan or an Andrew Gutman, potentially a Navajo as well. And it's just it makes it to the point where it's like the why should I care? And so when I know it's going to happen, I know it's going to be bad. I know it's going to be interesting and they're irrelevant and the Rapids and excuse me, and Inter Miami is going to Inter Miami could post a video right now, Mark, on their Instagram of Messi picking its nose, picking his nose, and he would get more likes in an hour than anything the Rapids are going to do on social this this entire year. Like this is this is where this is the, the this is the level of irrelevance and that the season is approached, and just where the Rapids are in the pecking order, both on the field and off the field, and it makes it uninteresting, which. 
Mark has led to a number of season ticket holders being at least maybe this is the algorithm. Maybe nice I just happen to be nice scrolling. transition, Matt. Yes, thank you. Uh, maybe this is the algorithm. Maybe this is me scrolling through Twitter on the right day. Maybe this is just Logan F posting something and then it turning into a conversation in ways that maybe you'd only have on the Rapids Facebook discussion page once a year or one particular subreddit post as well on the Rapids subreddit, which is, Mark, there's a lot of hardcore fans that are relevant that are part of the rapids ecosystem online that are openly vocalizing their decision starting this week to not renew their season tickets um i have never been to a meet the team party folks um but i I did see there was some scuttlebutt about that being not particularly well executed or not as fun as it would have been in the past i can't speak to that personally that's obviously maybe just one or a handful of people's opinion but mark there's a bunch of hardcore fans right now that are thinking of not renewing their season tickets um they don't think that there's impetus a lot of those fans at least from my observations are people who think that one of robin frazier or porrick should be out at this point and it's not obvious that either of them are going to be out anytime soon they're not happy with enough of the changes that have been made let's you know let's see what happens with the vaho i think that's the one interesting new unknown that we have right now and this couples on top of the fact mark that you know we've seen just the continuing increase of prices for season tickets a friend of the show and and burgundy wave contributor joseph samuelson he and his wife moved over from being on the east side of the stands to the south stands because they got a little bit more expensive i saw one fan comment on twitter saying that their season ticket equivalent from last season to this theme season was up nine percent that's more than where we are at, at right now with inflation listeners and i think that's undeserved for a team that has a very real possibility of finishing last in Major League Soccer and a team that is most likely going to miss the playoffs back to back seasons as well. And so it's just it it continues to fester the frustration and the the way the fan base feels as well, Mark. And it's sad for me because I go back and I look, Rabbi, at some of the tweeted out uh, podcast episodes that we have in the first year of this podcast. And there were a lot of people who were diehard fans who were commenting, who were submitting Ask HTHLs at least once a month as well. And they've been gone since pre-COVID. And I feel like every single year we've lost a noteworthy longtime member of this community who maybe isn't gone completely gone away, but has significantly disengaged and so i think that just speaks to where the community is around the club regardless of whether or not some of those frustrations are at people where whether or not them not choosing to not renew their season tickets is actually going to be a cause and effect that's going to change anything at the club i don't think is something that's likely to happen but it's the expression of their fandom and maybe them putting their money where their mouth is in the frustration and whether or not that is founded on realistic expectations or not um it's something that's going to hit the club financially and they should pay attention to because these are your people and they're continuously sad yeah uh i i i think one of the things that's tricky about um trying to cover a team in major league soccer is the degree to which you have to be some sort of like super investigative journalist sleuth in order to find out the truth of a team. Um, with the Rapids, like we never really know what's going on with season ticket sales. They never really tell us. That, you know, that's not something that a lot of teams put out there. Publicly, of course not. Way, of course not. But, but when they have, I mean like teams, like the new teams, expansion teams have said like, you know, Oh, we sold X amount of, 
season tickets. And like one of the things that's difficult about that is knowing whether it's true or not. But like we're not really going to know whether all of the, as you called it, scuttlebutt online is legit or whether it's mostly smoke and mirrors. But it do it does feel to me like um, season ticket sales are gonna slump next year. But that's just like basic math. Like when the team is bad, when teams struggle from year to year, season tickets go down. The flip side of that is it's entirely possible that some of those longtime fans who've been disappointed will be replaced by folks who want to get in line first for the shot at seeing Messi at Dick Sporting Goods Park. Those people might be deluded into thinking that he's going to come and um, come to altitude and, and play, you know, because the odds are really low. But, um, you know, we always are replacing dissatisfied customers with, you know, folks who are going to try something new. So I'm not. And also the other thing is, and you, you know this better than me because you've been there, they've basically been selling out, you know, the stadium's been full the last couple of games, um, not the second half of that Portland game that was rescheduled, which you know, holy ass, but still um, open cup vibes, right. listeners. Yeah, no, it was, it was, but, but uh, still like the, the Rapids are doing really well with sales. And I think that that's, <laughs> I mean, it's going to sound really funny, but that's really frustrating, right? We'd like to see more of an impact by the fans on the bottom line of the club so that it forces the hand of ownership into making some kind of real moves to say, but you know, when you sell out the stadium week after week and the bottom line is not affected by poor play, then what's the incentive for the management team to really change things? They're going to say like, oh, you know, we sell all the tickets and they're eating the Dippin' Dots and they're happy with the new North Stand, whatever they're calling it. I forget what the area is called. Northern Exposure. North Boundary. Northern Boundary, whatever. <laughs> Northern Exposure. It was a TV show back in the 90s, Matt. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when everybody's happy and sitting outside, I mean, like this is the, this is the, the Denver, the Colorado Rockies problem, right? The Colorado Rockies, you know, all, all you need on a Sunday afternoon is for 35,000 fans to come to downtown Denver and sit in the sun and drink beer. You don't even need a baseball game. So why bother spending money to re-sign cargo? You know, it's like, what's the point? You can get 35,000 people out there to drink overpriced beer. And you don't even have to show a baseball game. It's it's frustrating. Listeners, we've got a few other things that we want to touch on. But um, if you're somehow still listening to this <laughs> podcast, uh, you know, in the total waste of time that we told you it was going to be at the about? top as well. We've been brilliant. We just haven't. We just have no. We have 17 topics and no one dominant thread other than utter sadness. Uh, Mark, as soon as we finished talking about the U.S. Women's National Team, we basically had the exact same podcast episode that we've had for, like, the last two months as well. Well, like, we're consistent. What, what we said about <laughs> Houston and what we said about Portland is the exact same thing we said about the draw against the LA Galaxy. There's the no way same. to explain we're bad in different language. And yeah, and that's what, like, that's, again, what's, I think, that that is another component that I think is fueling the disengagement and the frustration. And the, like, I'm running out of different ways to write a gamer about a nil-nil draw at this point, Mark. Like, it's, I, I don't know what else to, I, I don't know what else to say about it. But, um, uh, listeners, we got a bunch of pint glasses, and we appreciate you, and you are our people if you're somehow still listening to this. And so, Mark, tell our listeners how they can best support the independent coverage of the Colorado Rapids in a way that potentially, you know, gives a platform and a sense of community for these 
Rapids fans who are canceling their season tickets to commiserate. Beautifully said, Matthew. Holding the High Line is a reader-supported publication. We do this out of love, but website hosting and buying gas to go to training ain't free. If you value what we do, consider becoming a paid subscriber at just $42 a year or $5 a month. If you do it by the end of this season, we will mail you a brand new Holding the High Line pipe glass where it says cheers to the six on the back. Note for subscribers. Probably hand wash, don't machine wash. It's kind of like got a somewhat gentle uh, 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 texture to it. So it'll last longer, Bubba, if you don't put it in the dishwasher. It's the hot water that's going to kill it. Anyhow, for five bucks a month, that's like the price of a Frappuccino. So you'll skip one and you'll be fine. You can afford it. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year. Uh, as we mentioned, and um, hopefully we'll also add some other fun stuff like uh, behind the wall, behind the paywall, extra bonus material, interview stuff. You'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Cheers to the six, Matt. Back to you, uh, Mark. We've got an interesting ask HTHL again. This this might have to turn into the Rafael and the Vahov show going forward, listeners, because we don't have any other because there's not a lot of other joys around the Rapids. But Mark, there's an interesting question given the five million dollar valuation, or if we want to say the reported four point five million on the transfer fee and then the loan fee of <clears throat> five hundred thousand dollars for the twelve month loan that the Rapids. Uh, got for him what we think based on that valuation would be reasonable in terms of his progress this second third you know this third of the season that he'll be around for um everything that i've heard listeners that they're hoping that he'll be available for leagues cup mark at time of recording based on navajo's instagram story he is not yet in the united states so if we're recording this on tuesday he's not in the united states that means he's not traveling to the u.s before tomorrow wednesday that means he's not getting here before thursday which means at best you're looking at what a training session friday saturday i feel pretty confident mark he's probably not playing against Nashville I think there's plenty of time for him to be in and available for selection for the Toluca game on Monday the 31st so there's that but you know Mark if uh you know what would in 12 11 months time when the Rapids have to make a decision whether or not to write a 4.5 million dollar check what would you like to see from Navajo that would make you say that is a good evaluation for this season I have extremely low expectations three goals is fine that's it. I think a lot of people are out there saying five goals, but that feels like, you know, we're gonna only going to have like, you know, a few games where he's going to play. I mean, is he going to get into five games? Is he going to get into seven games? So for me, like three goals would be great. Um, two goals would even be something because it's really about next year that we're uh, interested in. And if he could produce what Diego Rubio produced last year, which is 16 goals, that would be great because that would allow Diego Rubio if he's healthy, God willing, to move back to attacking mid or to be an underneath supporting striker to Navajo. And that would be a really good, I think, tandem that I think Pork Smith understands that, like, we want to take the pressure off Rubio and give additional scoring opportunities for other players. It might allow Cole Bassett to swing out wide and be kind of more of a, like, uh, a swingman pivot as opposed to what we've got Barrios and um, Lewis doing right now, which is being straight line, you know, bombing out diagonal runners, right? Their, their talent is their ability to race past you to the end line, but their problem is <clears throat> uh, 
more so with Lewis than with Barrios, he can't find you once he gets to that end line. He can't find Navajo. He can't find, um, you know, uh, he couldn't, he could find Rubio, but wasn't so, there weren't so many hookups like that this year. And then, you know, nobody can find Cabral because he's either in the wrong place or he's not going to fish it anyways. So those are the problems that we've got to solve. You know, most of the problems that this team needs to have is in the front five in the attacking phase of the game, trying to figure out what they do there. The, the, the back five, as I like to call them, or the back six are not the problem. The, you know, uh, uh, Acosta, Ronan, um, you know, the, the Abubakar, um, uh, Max Shu, not the problem right now. And especially with Gutmann kind of coming in, we're going to have to get exactly how to pronounce his name. Is it Gutmann? Gutmann. Is it kind of Germany sounding or is it good? Andrew Gutmann. 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 Sounds like my name. It's really confusing. Are we going to have that problem, do you think, this year? Well, probably not. Anyways. All right, that's that's my take. What do you think, Matt? What do you, what do you want to see from Navajo? Mark, Mark I, I, I get it. You think that all you think that all bald white guys look exactly the same, and I think that's incredibly discriminatory, and you shouldn't be judging other people for that as well. This is a joke. Um, for those of you listeners who've never seen my picture, I'm a bald white guy named Goodman. All right, Arne Slot, shut up. I want to talk about the Ask HTHL. Um, so I, I, for the rest of this year, Mark, I almost I, I what I want to see from Navajo from when he arrives to October twenty first on decision day is not quantitative and mostly off the field. Do I want to see him adjusting MLS well? Do I want to see that he's not perturbed by the amount of travel that he might have to deal with as well? Do I want to see him fit at altitude? Do I want to see him getting along with his new teammates? Now, I realize that's harder to quantify and more behind-the-scenes stuff as well, but I care more about that than I do, honestly, whether or not he's scoring goals. If it leads to him scoring goals, great. But I think if we're talking about what he's going to do in the... If we're talking about next season mark it's not just what does he do in the first half of next season it's almost two-thirds of a season by the time you talk about when the loan is actually expiring so what would i want to see from 15 to 20 games from him and then maybe 22 all comps if we throw in an open cup gamer there you know i would say double digit goal contributions would be nice you know if he's given me seven and three eight and two six and four something like that and the rapids are competing for a playoff spot then i think that's value now um in terms of of what I think would be worth investing in for a player who could then continue to grow within the club and then also potentially have some monetary value at the end of certainly uh, signing a permanent deal with the Rapids TBD on DP or what that would look like and everything. Um, but that's just off the top of my head what I would see there. Um, other thing I want to mention, Mark, uh, Alex Gershback, who now has just fallen further behind the pecking order with Gutman's arrival. Uh, the club announced last week that he had successful surgery to deal with an abductor tendon injury, and that'll have him out roughly six to eight weeks. Listeners, and that puts him coming back, if we're talking about by the time the announcement happened and when the surgery actually probably took place. You know, we're, we're looking at late August, realistically, possibly into September. Listeners, Mark, I was at training early last week and I reported that Gersback was there and working on his own and he came out maybe halfway through the actual training session and he was just like briskly walking laps around the field which I thought was a little bit weird I mean we knew it was a lower body injury so maybe it was a that's the way to work some muscle or soft tissue something it was really particular like there was a technique to what he was doing and how he was stretching as he was going through the curl it wasn't just like randomly it wasn't just like 
uh, it wasn't mindless, uh, you know, not thinking about it walking. And so that was the thought I had, but I was like, that was like, that's kind of weird. Like he's not even walking with any real pace or anything. He's checking his watch. So this isn't a cardiovascular or a heart rate kind of a thing. It's a weird thing for him to do. Maybe he's doing it of his own accord to kind of watch training and seeing what's happening there. But in hindsight, that makes a little bit more sense. Was that done as prep for the surgery or was that done as part of the initial start of the recovery and the surgery had already taken place by the time I was at training? On Monday, I don't know enough about the I don't know enough about the foot and the ankle to judge that from to know to say that medically speaking as well. But in hindsight, it makes a little bit more sense. And really, for me, Rabbi, this is where I think a lot of listeners are going to now wonder, was this something that was lingering that was maybe affecting his form or his ability to get into the team? And now the club was looking to move on from him. Was this something that maybe started much earlier than when he was on? the injury report list and then now it took a while for the medical team to identify it and then actually properly deal with it as well and did they only choose to deal with it in a way that would have him out long term once a replacement was in there as well and then does this speak to the fact that maybe something about the way Robin Frazier is training the team with the coaching staff the way the medical staff has handled injuries this season or the infrastructure is this something that potentially started and has expounded from that period in March April or early May that led to all of those injuries have we truly not had the true version of Alex Gershback because in the first six months of the six weeks of the season he was getting used to the league and just absolutely getting cooked and by the time he got used to what Frazier wanted from his him tactically getting used to the style of play getting used to the amount of travel and everything this injury or something that predated it started it and we're never like how we never saw the true best version of Nana Boateng Mark because of a bunch of reasons some of which were not his fault like has this just led to it not working out for Alex back in ways that it didn't work out for Eunice Nomley long-term. And now at this point, Mark, are we looking at, you know, nobody's going to sign him, obviously, coming off of this injury as well. But, you know, if he plays a couple games in, you know, in garbage time late in the season as well, like if the Rapids were just thinking, yeah, this guy isn't part of the plans, it hasn't worked out, Gutman immediately, Gutman's looked better in 180 minutes in any 10 second period, I look for what Gutman's done compared to what Gershback has done at any point this season, including in the Open Cup games against lower division opposition. And so at this point, Mark, do the Rapids just think, hey, can we get 50K in a transfer fee? Would Sydney FC want him? Is there another second division team in France that would want him back having known him there? And can we just allow the player to move on from a year that didn't really work out that was supposed to be a nice adventure? And where did all of this start? All of these are good questions. I don't necessarily have have the answer to i don't know that i care mark because andrew gutman is him Mm -hmm. yep listeners this coming sunday at geodis geodis park uh, nashville's new stadium uh, the rapids are taking on um are taking on nashville sc it is the first of three games in their group in the league's cup mark and i look at nashville right now rabbi and they have been struggling they have lost one two three five of their last seven games uh they had a win at home against st louis they had a win at home against dc there have been a couple tough road games in there but their last three games a one nil loss at chicago fire a two nil loss um <clears throat> to philadelphia union that was a home game and then at fc cincinnati they lost three to one not a whole lot of shame in their mark um and then it should be pointed out that it's been a rough 
month for Hani Mukhtar, who has an assist recently, but he has not scored a goal mark in the month of July. Granted, last time that he did score a goal, he scored a hat trick in that 3-1 win against St. Louis City back on the 18th of July. So he has not scored in one, two, three, four, five, six games, and he has not scored in one calendar month. Now, that is a long time for what I would argue, Mark, is one of the two best players in Major League Soccer. So this is a Nashville team that's not on good form that in theory could be had, Rabbi. But at the same time, what other team would you want to play in a competition that technically doesn't count towards league play other than the Colorado Rapids to come in, potentially outplay you between the boxes, not provide any threat whatsoever in the final third, and then your best player gets one moment of brilliance and you win the game 1-0? Um, Mark, I don't, I don't know what to... I would be... I would not be, if, if I were Robin Frazier, I'd be going there trying to get nil-nil and then hoping you could nick it in penalties to get the two points with the way that League's Cup is set up as well. But at the same time, we know that Joe Willis is better on penalties than William Yarbrough or Marco Illich or Abrod or Adam Beaudry would in that situation. So I, I could see the Rapids going there and nicking a point and then TBD on what happens in penalties, Mark. But there's... There's so much about the way this is set up to where I just feel like it's so easy to just give it like it is set up for Nashville to get the layup to get them back on good form. Yep. Uh, no, there. I think you spent a little bit of time at the beginning there trying to convince yourself that the Rapids have a shot at this. Um, there's a couple other things I just wanted to mention about League Cup coming up, which is like there are a lot of really tasty, exciting matchups coming up in this tournament. Um and a lot of games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that a lot of people are gonna are gonna want to tune into because there's so there's such novelty factor to them. This ain't one of them, right? The opening game is Inter Miami versus Cruz Azul, and it's probably Messi's debut. Um, that game is gonna be bonkers. People are gonna be lit for it. Um, in the in the latest game, uh, Club Leon are playing Vancouver in a game that is a really exciting matchup because Leon are so much fun um, to watch. Um, the next day, you've got Montreal playing Pumas, and you've got um, Cholos Tijuana playing Philadelphia in what will be a fantastic matchup. And then the Sunday game that everybody's going to want to watch is NYCFC versus Atalas. Um, those are just great matchups. Um, Nashville, Colorado is not that you know it's just not and the rapids aren't aren't a very don't look very good going into that game robin frazier has to figure out whether he has some sort of unique approach to this short series in which he needs to get you know four points in order to move on or whether um he is just gonna roll out what he's been rolling out same formation same guys um and hope to get a result i i don't really fully understand um, if there's any way the Rapids can can do something here, um, you know, I don't think historically we've played very well against Nashville. We haven't defended Hani Mukhtar particularly very well. Um, Walker Zimmerman has always been a beast against us. There's just a lot of, you know, reason why Nashville is probably, and they're the home team. There's a lot of reason why Nashville is strongly to be favored in this game. And I, I would just say, you know, it's not. And I will say, by the way, um, I made one prognostication last game, uh, last week, and it was that Houston had played a lot of high-scoring games and had, were, were kind of played played very open. And so that if you were going to pick between the, the, the under and the over, 
take the over on goals. I was completely wrong. Um, so never think that you should listen to what I say and bet actual money on it. It's not a good idea. But that being said, I'm picking the Rapids to lose this game, you know, two to nothing, three to one, something like that. Um, and for it to be official that our season is completely dead and pointless, as opposed to where it is right now, where it is mostly official that our season is dead and pointless. Yeah, no, I've got the Rapids losing this one, Mark. I think the best you can hope for is a nil-nil or a 1-1 and then trying to do something in penalties, and I, I wouldn't bet for that happening based on um, the fact that Hani hasn't so scored in a while. Does this game go while. to penalties? These, the... The... Yes, so the the way the format that they have, Mark, is that there are no draws. So effectively, it's a if you're tied after ninety, you go to penalties. So it's three points for a regulation win, two points for a penalty kick shootout win, and one point for a penalty kick shootout loss. Oh. Effectively, the hockey scoring, but with three points for um. That's a great format. For is that, that that's is not the same format that uh, that MLS Next Pro uses? Yes, I believe. Um, I, I, I believe so. I don't remember if the point scoring is the same or if they just use that as a tiebreaker Got off it. the top of my head. But yes, that's the that's the format they're using, and uh, you need that mark when you've got you know you've got the potential to where they're if, small if groups, it's all... just three group, three person, three team groups. Yeah, so if you get three nil nil draws, which is possible in the case of the Colorado Rapids as well, then you know you go to then at that point, Mark, you have a three way tiebreaker for who got the most yellow cards for you know um, sporting participation or whatever the terminology FIFA uses for that. So this is a way to break up that monotony and have it be a little bit more decisive, given that you don't have groups of four, and then given obviously um, you know it's a weird round robin in that format. But I've got the I've got the Rapids losing this one, Mark. Um, this game is taking place. I. Rachel Krieger and I will probably be post-gaming uh, Fulham's win over Brentford at the link as well. So I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I will be watching this game live um, or when I will be watching it as well. There, are, There's five other League's Cup game, Mark, that I, whilst being out of town, will be more interested in checking the score of than what's going on with the Rapids. And that speaks to... Regardless of the fact that this is technically a new competition and nothing of what the Rapids or Nashville or Toluca have done previously affect this just shows where we are in terms of our lack of confidence around the team going into it. And, you know, we'll see. Um, Mark, we've been talking for this has gone an hour and a half, which is way too long for talking about a team. That How dare played, you? They played one and a half games last week and didn't have a goal scored. So let's get out of here. It's absolute pearls of wisdom from our lips, folks. We have brilliant things to say about soccer, and we just cannot be restrained. But we should give it up. Matt, tell them how to hit us up on the socials and hit us on email. Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, and at rapids 96 podcast you can email us at rapids 96 podcast at gmail.com you can check out our written content at the substack holding the highline.substack.com view us in web format sign up for our email newsletter and that's also where you can become a paid highliner to support the program support us and get a pint glass five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year on our substack you can check out mark's non-rapids related written content at pittsburgh soccer now you can check out my other rapids content at burgundywave.com listeners we will see you next week. peace